0: This podcast is made possible by the generous support of Lily Oncology. Hello and welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast. I'm Jamie DePolo, senior editor at BreastCancer.org. We're on location at the guest is Dr. Karen Bazin-Enquist, professor of behavioral science and director of the Center for Energy Balance and Cancer Prevention and Survivorship at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Dr. Bazin-Enquist's research focuses on how health and lifestyle modifications can reduce the severity of long-term side effects and improve quality of life and physical function in cancer survivors. Today, Dr. Bazin-Enquist presented information on research on how people diagnosed with breast cancer can lose weight and exercise more, as well as how those modifications can affect the risk of recurrence. Dr. Bazin-Enquist, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jamie. I'm pleased to be here.
0: So earlier today during your presentation, you talked about research showing that breast cancer patients were more likely, or actually I think it was just cancer, all cancer patients in general, were more likely to make lifestyle changes related to diet, weight management, and exercise if their oncologist brought up those topics. If someone's doctor doesn't bring them up, um, after a cancer diagnosis, do you think the person should bring that up? I mean, what, how, should, how should that get approached?
1: I think it's a great conversation to have with your oncologist, regardless of whether the oncologist or um, surgeon or whatever health care provider you're speaking to, regardless of whether they bring it up. Um, this, is, this is a health issue, um, what you eat, how active you are, what your weight is affects your health, and it's, it is something you should talk to your health care provider about.
0: Okay. Now, I've noticed at conferences lately, more and more researchers are starting to talk about weight management and exercise kind of just being part of long-term cancer care. Do you think, I mean, is that where we're going?
1: I hope that's where we're going. <laughs> and I would like to see us go there. I think it is getting increasing attention. Um, it's getting attention partly because of the research you just mentioned showing that, um, that or that, that was presented in the session, showing that obesity is associated with poorer outcomes for some cancers. Physical activity is associated with better outcomes for some cancers and also randomized trial data showing that physical activity and exercise can improve quality of life, decrease symptoms, um, improve well-being and physical functioning for people after cancer and during cancer treatment. So. Um, given that, I do think we're seeing much more of a, a much more attention on this, uh, much more movement toward addressing it in oncology care and in also post treatment care in the survivorship period. Um, just wanted to mention the American College of Sports Medicine, which is an organization that. Um, addresses and studies all aspects of exercise and exercise and health. Um, Has a, a subgroup that works on exercise and cancer. And they have, um, over the past year, been convening a roundtable to examine their previous recommendations for cancer survivors, um, rigorously reviewing the literature on the benefits for cancer survivors, also looking at this issue of how it should be implemented in care, and they will soon, I would say, in the within the next three or four months, be releasing their revised recommendations for cancer survivors and patients. Um, And we don't know what those are yet, but I do not think they're going to be backing off um, their recommendation that survivors and patients stay active after cancer diagnosis.
0: Oh, that'll be great. I have to tell you, as an aside, um, I did a podcast with a trainer who is certified to work with cancer survivors. And she said what kind of drives her a little bit crazy is that people don't expect much, or I should say trainers, maybe even doctors don't expect much exercise wise from survivors and people who are currently in treatment. It's they like, Oh, just go do some stuff on the elliptical and that's fine. And she said, I don't do that. I challenge, <laughs> I challenge my clients. And she said, I think they appreciate it because mm-hmm. they're really stronger than they think.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that is true. And, and having that personal trainer can can kind of help push you a little bit farther. However, I would say, the other thing to keep in mind is that the kind of biggest improvement that we see in people is the people who go from doing nothing to doing anything. So even if even if you feel like you're not ready to be pushed, it's important to get up, take some extra steps, you know, break up your sedentary behavior during the day so that you're not consistently sitting the whole day through. You know, a lot of us have desk jobs and we sit a lot, but it's important to take breaks and get up and walk around. So even as uh, doing that is a first step to getting more active is important. Even if you feel like you're not quite ready to have that trainer push you. Right. I agree, most of us can do more than we think we can do. Yeah. Um, even if we're being treated for cancer, but um, it's important to even take those those early steps. Yeah, towards no, being more I didn't active. mean to
0: suggest she was pushing them too far, but she was saying, you know, even like you said, sitting in a chair and lifting some soup cans mm-hmm. is a great yep. way to start. So, absolutely. Anyway, but absolutely. I digress. Um, so I was tweeting during your presentation um, where you suggested that weight loss could potentially reduce the risk of breast cancer recurrence, and I immediately got a reply from uh, someone who is currently in treatment. Said, well, that's great, but a side effect of my treatment is weight gain.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, how do I could you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure, and, and it is frustrating um, for uh, in breast cancer in particular, we see weight gain a lot um, in the course of treatment. Um, and just to, to clarify, the, the data that we have right now shows that being obese is associated with a higher risk of recurrence. We don't yet know if weight loss affects recurrence risk. There's there's some mixed data on that. And of course, the randomized trials like the one that Dr. Ligabel talked about, the B-Well trial, will hopefully provide us with some answers with regard to that. But Yes, I'm sure that it's really frightening to see data like that showing that obesity is associated with an uh, increased risk of recurrence, and knowing that you know as a, a at, through your treatment you have gained weight. Um, so, I think, but I think it underlines the importance of taking some action to try to to manage that weight gain. I mean, it's not in even though the treatment's associated with weight gain, it's not inevitable, and you can manage it um, and perhaps kind of reduce the amount of weight gain with exercise. Exercise and a healthy diet that's calorie restricted still will work to help you um, minimize that weight gain or maybe even prevent it from happening. Okay.
0: Yeah, I think it's especially important too because now, with the recommendations, people are could potentially be on AIs for ten years. I mean, right, you know, right. some people are already on toxic for ten years. That's that's a long time to be in treatment and to mm-hmm. worry about weight gain. That is a
1: long time, and and we know that AIs are associated with some fatigue, with um, joint aches and pains for many people and so that can make it harder to think, you're managing that, it makes it harder to think about you know, it's like right. you, you kind of want to go to your dish of ice cream to make you feel better, Absolutely. right? But But I think uh, exercise has been shown to help remedy some of those side effects of AI therapies, so particularly the joint pain and muscle pain and uh, fatigue uh, and I think um, we also know, we don't know for sure if weight management helps reduce those symptoms, but we do know that people who are heavier, you know, they put more stress on their joints, so it seems kind of logical to think that it, that managing your weight might also help with some of those side effects.
0: Okay. Um, so, you talked about in your presentation, too, that BMI is kind of an imperfect assessment of body fat, especially in older women and obviously Not all, but a majority of people diagnosed with breast cancer are older women, Um, so I guess what I'm wondering, it seems like some of the studies, and maybe I'm not interpreting them exactly correctly, but they show that maybe just exercising more can really add a lot of health benefits, even if you don't change your diet. even if you don't lose a ton of weight, you're just kind of changing your body composition. Um, are there studies looking at that? Does that sound possible?
1: So it does sound possible. Um, our, we have observational studies that show that breast cancer survivors who are more physically active after breast cancer treatment are, or after diagnosis have a lower risk of recurrence. So independent of what their BMI is, being more physically active does reduce your risk. And, of course, you know, we talked about some of the benefits of of exercising is kind of reducing some of those side effects helping you deal with the fatigue and so forth so even if you don't lose weight exercising does have a benefit
0: okay okay that's good to know because I think sometimes people hear well I have to exercise more I have to lose weight and I have to change my diet and it seems like a lot to do all at once while you could potentially still be in treatment
1: right it can be very overwhelming and I think one of the things we want to try to avoid is kind of making it kind of overwhelming people with the responsibility. I think that that patients do often feel grateful that there's something that they can do to help improve their health, but if it gets overwhelming and you start to feel guilty and upset that you're not able to perfectly adhere, it's time to sort of back off and reassess and maybe um, talk to a mental health professional about how to balance it all um, or just even a, a. friend or your oncologist, um, maybe you want to um, start with, you know, kind of one thing at a time. You know, start with the exercise or start with um, healthier diet or something like that and then build up. Because I think, you know, it's there's there's not really um, any benefit to be gained, I think, in overwhelming patients and making them feel bad because they aren't able to make certain changes. So uh, that that just that doesn't lead to behavior change first of all and just makes the person feel worse so we don't want that (laughs) exactly
0: so if you had to pick one I mean would it be fair and again this is me making a a scientific uh, decision would it be fair to say to start with exercise because that seems to offer a lot of benefits
1: um, that's a that's a good question i I think so most of my research is in exercise and so that is kind of my my bias yeah um, I would say exercise is important but but I think doing things that are sort of consistent with your your values too all of those things are good you know eating a healthier diet, managing your weight through calorie restriction be more physically active they're all good things to do for yourself and so if something, fits better for you and that's what you want to start with, go ahead and do that.
0: Okay, yeah. okay, that makes good sense. So also in the presentation uh, for my last question, studies have looked at low-fat diets. Studies have looked at you know reducing calories and both breast cancer risk as well as recurrence risk. Um, And then other studies I've seen not necessarily connected to cancer have suggested that maybe fat isn't the nutrient that should be demonized. You know, maybe we should be looking at sugar, or maybe we should be looking at some of the things that make processed foods. Um, do you know of any studies that are looking specifically at those and cancer risk, like sugar and cancer risk, or processed foods and cancer risk, anything like that?
1: So we don't have studies on the scale of some of those randomized trials that we're looking at low-fat diets. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think, you know, you are right that our thinking about fat has evolved a lot. Um, At the time those studies were done, we were kind of uh, trying to reduce all kinds of fat. Now we mainly focus on saturated fat, which is, uh, and trans fats, which are the most damaging to health, right? Those are the fats that are associated with more clogged arteries, also apparently higher cancer risk. whereas monounsaturated fats like in the olive oil and canola oil are actually it's good for us to have some of those so so our, our thinking about fat has changed a lot as far as the question of whether there are trials that are testing some of those other components of diet um, at this point it's mainly smaller scale trials um, we don't have the the really large trials as we're done on the the um, uh, the, the the high fat the low-fat diet sorry um, we prob- And we have large weight loss trials. So one of the things that sort of has come out of a lot of the combined literature on nutrition is that um, managing weight seems to be quite important for, for health for all kinds of people, not just cancer survivors. So there's been an increased focus on managing weight um, and less focus on specific nutrients. But we are seeing some smaller studies and trials emerge on things like uh, plant-based diets, um, sometimes ketogenic diets there's um, interest in that area um, limiting sugar and so forth but that the uh, jury's still out um, we still don't know a lot about those and what we mainly know about those specific kinds of foods is from epidemiologic studies Okay.
0: okay. thank you very much i appreciate your insights my pleasure
1: thanks for having me